the crew whose hat wasn't down under a stun. The crew who was hit by a sniper's round. Recapture D for differences between shock and stun. Woe is me. The crew got stunned. They're under a stun. Ain't it a drag man? Uh, uh, under a stun. The half track crew who had a bad day. Under a stun. The crew who can't just drive away blew the MC. Sad it is. The butt up till next movement phase seems to me for now they're done under a stun out of sight under a stun it's a tank hit by falling rubble under a stun MGTK number equals the to K roll so please tell me I know they're stunned Are they broken too Buttoned up Having no fun They're under a stun Situation's grave When CC's done, they're under plus one. Yeah, you got that right. Under a stun, those guys suffered AK results. Under a stun, well, this turn they can do nothing else. Sniper got me, dude. Commander's dead. They're buttoned up and they're recalled to the exit. Change has come. They're under a stun. It's not alright, man. Not alright. Not at all. Take it easy, dude. Take it easy, dude. They'll be all right. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Two Half Squads. The one and only podcast on the net and the video net. 
dedicated 100% mostly. This show will be to the greatest game in the world. Rich, what's that? I'm not sure. I think it's something like Squad Leader or Advanced Advanced Squad Leader. Advanced Squad Leader, of course. Glad to have you, Rich. This is our first video episode. Well, I know when you guys invite me, you really want me to talk about Squad Leader for real. Oh, yes. When people see that Rich Spilkey's on the show, they run and get their propeller hats. Yeah, they know it's going to be serious. Yeah, they, yep. there's no drinking on this show when Rich is on. you got to be like... Well, there could, there could be. I, I wouldn't mind every now and then. <laughs> Bottled water or canned water for now. Okay, well, you need all your wits about you. Yeah. I would like to clarify before we begin, just for everybody and for Rich, that um, if, if you if you notice something different about me in these glasses, well, earlier when we started, I was wearing these glasses. <laughs> Neither of these pairs of glasses are my actual glasses because I was kayaking down the Des Plaines River. So guess where my actual current glasses are, not these backup pairs. In the kayak? Nope. <laughs> Somewhere worse than that. Yep. At the bottom of the Des Plaines River. Which goes, I, which eventually gets to, uh, you know, the Mississippi <laughs> or something, doesn't it? Louisiana, the Battle of New Orleans. Well, Jared lives in St. Louis, my, my son, and he, uh, he might be able to pick him up for you on the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I got stuck in some logs and stuff, and I was trying to push myself off, and I my first time canoeing on a river. And pushing off sideways was a dumb idea. So water, and it's a flat kayak, and it just came right over the edge of that kayak. And over I went, lost my hat and my glasses. So I'm getting readjusted to these, and I'm, it, they're a little difficult with the computer screen. So just ignore me, folks, if I'm doing this. And I've got, go. that, I've got that whole escapade on video, and Dave is paying me handsomely yes. to keep it. And yes. I am the, the world's okayest dad. Yes, you are. You are okay. Of all the dads in the world, you are one of them. <laughs> so, Jeff, do you want to let the listeners know, in case they've just downloaded this and are just listening, that they actually have the option to see it? Oh, that's a good idea. Yes, indeed. I mean, what do yeah. I know? I, I'm not a podcast professional. <laughs> no, you, you are know. correct. Uh, what do I know? It's beginner's, beginner's mind, Rich. Very good. Yeah, we are... You can listen to this or you can watch this on, we'll post it on our YouTube channel or somewhere. We haven't quite figured that out. One thing at a time. But yeah, because there will be a lot of references to uh, visual aids and things that Rich has brought. And so uh, you may want to have that or, and, or get your own stuff out if you own Red Barricades or Red October. So, Yeah. Our yeah, first video foray into video. Just because, like for me, I listen to you guys when I'm either driving or when I'm cutting the lawn or whatever, and so I would normally not even think to watch it. Yeah. So, and you can cut the lawn and listen to this. But you just have to have the map out and be like, <laughs> and you have to turn it up so loud. I, oh, yeah, the sound of the mower, you might hurt your eardrums. Yeah, you just got to turn it up loud. But in this case, this this one would not do well while lawn mowing. Can you watch or can you listen to our podcast while mowing the lawn? Rich? Yeah, I do. I just got done saying that I do. I do. I mean, sure. I, I thought you, have, you were being colorful. 
No, I, I do. I, I wear my headphones and I put sound. them on my, on my smartphone. Do you, and like these well. are not good enough to, it's too loud with them all. You have on the kind like you have, right? It's more sound. Yeah, they're similar to the ones I'm wearing now. They're not, it's not these, but they're, they're shaped like this. Yeah. Yeah, good. Well, that's a great idea. If you, you could come over and mow our lawn. We've taken to mowing our lawn ourselves this year. In the years past, we have kind of a large lot. It's not a huge lot, but it's a half an acre. And it's a lot to cut. And we have had lawn services in the past, but they have just really done a poor job over the last few years. So this year we're doing it ourselves. We've decided to be a little more natural. We're not doing things like edging and trimming we're letting things grow around because we don't have those little clipper things or <laughs> weed whackers. Mm. Yeah. So we're just, we're, we're becoming more naturalized. Well, I we'll also to listen to the half squads. I listen to the half squad program also when I'm weed whacking because I do have one of those. <laughs> so it, it works both ways, either lawn mowing or weed whacking. I've got <laughs> <laughs> I've got a handful of vitamins here, so I, I better not take these. I was going to take these during the show. <laughs> I saw you put something in your mouth. I I, I'm not just... very good at taking vitamins, and so I'll, I'll get one or two days behind, and pretty soon it's like I've got a shoebox full of vitamins to get. And Robin always says, are you taking your vitamins? Yeah, and I'm putting them in the shoebox. <laughs> i I got to get caught up. But I can't I during the show. I'll be laughing too. I don't too. think you can take five days worth of vitamins all at once, Jeff. I think I can. It's probably not a good idea, though. It's good for you. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, these are all uh, these are all these uh, capsules. Time released. Yeah, they're powder inside the little capsules. They're not the hard rock hard ones. The rock hard ones just end up in the sewer. Mm -hmm. But you know, we don't have to go into that. <laughs> So what so else, Rich? Anyway. Actually, uh, for just a little more banter, Rich, this is the first, practically, we've talked to you since the whole COVID thing has come up about. How are you getting on? Well, I think I'm like a lot of people. I'm working from home. Luckily, everyone in my family is healthy, as far as I know. My, my sons are both young adults now, and they live independently, but they're both working, again, uh, from their home apartments. Uh, one lives in Peoria area, one lives in St. Louis area. And they're both working at their jobs, uh, you know, but it's, it's hard. It's actually harder on them because, you know, they're young, single guys. Yeah. They, uh, you know, haven't made a ton of friends yet in their towns that they've only lived in for a short while. And this doesn't make it any easier to meet friends. And they're living alone in their little apartments and working all day, you know, remotely. At least I have my, you know, friends around town. And I have my wife, obviously, that, that's home with me. So I think it's a much harder on the young single people, I would say. And, and. So I don't have it anywhere near as bad as I know some people do. Yeah. Yeah, let's wait a little more. Yeah. But it is hard for them when they're young and especially a new place, Rich, like my son Adam's in Peoria, too. So he just moved there. So he's just, yeah, it's, he has no one else there. Well, we, we, should, introduce him, we should introduce our sons we, together. They we might probably able, should. Yeah. They might uh, you know, get along. Who knows? Yep. Of course, everyone knows from watching our Twitter feed and our shows that the vassal has been easy for Jeff and I to keep uh, gaming together. Yeah, have you been doing? Have you been doing any board gaming, Rich? Like your Wilderness Wars and stuff like that. You had talked about that a little bit. 
Well, I have not actually because oh, okay. uh, I've been super busy at work despite the pan the pandemic thing. I've been really busy at work. I've also been trying to paint my house. I'm not quite done, but I'm almost done. In fact, I just finished my squad leader area in that area just the other day. So now I can play again if I can get someone to come over because I haven't gotten into Vassal yet myself. But I did listen to your two half squad uh, podcasts on Vassal. I think you had two devoted to that topic. And I listened to those recently. And uh, you definitely said a lot of positive things about it. So I'll have to get into that soon. I hope so. Mm -hmm. I hope you do. Because it'd be nice. Because I think it's going to be a few more months before I'm out and about. Yeah, I'll probably lock down for a little while more. Yeah. But tonight we're talking about Rich's Let's get into the meat. excellent work. Yeah, so should we transition to the yeah. uh, topic at hand on, on that? Let's do. So I'm not really sure how to start, but I do want to share my screen for the people who are watching it. So I hope that people do that. Oh, I can see myself. Oh. Darn. Yeah, scenario replay and analysis. There's the bonsai. Yeah, so let me article. Mm-hmm. let me start with this bonsai article. Let me let me set the stage of what I want to share with with the listeners and the viewers uh, this time. So back about a year ago, you can see this bonsai magazine, and this particular one is the volume 24, number one. It was published in March of 2019, and in this uh, bonsai article or, or edition. I had written a pretty long, like over 20 page analysis, you can see here in the table of contents, uh, about the last bid, scenario RB5. It's that it's that big giant scenario that's part of the Red Barricades package and it covers the entire map of Red Barricades. And it starts here, right here on the second page, you can see right there. And I'm not gonna go through the whole thing. Like I said, it's 20 pages long. Oh yeah, and I did read, I read all of this back when it did come out. Did you like it? Oh, yes. So anyway, I I analyzed the heck out of it to make a long story short. And I played it three times and I evaluated it. And and if I go straight to the end, and I will go straight nearly to the end. Let's see, it's page 20 or so. Let's see here. Yeah, this is a must read if you're going to play. Of course, I had already played the last bid before you had written that. As listeners may remember, and uh, I have not played Men of Steel, so yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm driving towards here. So yeah. in in the article on RB five, you see here on page twenty two, towards the end, I talk about how you know I played it now three times, I've analyzed it pretty thoroughly, and I basically came to the conclusion that it was pro German quite a bit, in my opinion. And sure enough, the Roar record also indicates that it's. Uh, pretty strongly pro-German. So I made a number of recommendations. You can see these bullet points here in the lower right-hand corner. I made, I made a number of recommendations of how to alter the scenario RB5 in order to make it more balanced. So I'm not gonna go through all those. If you wanna read the article, you can download it from the Bonsai Texas ASL website for free. For free? It's, yes, it's a, it's, but anyway, I, I just wanted to like build the case for why I'm moving on to this, this next scenario. So that's sort of where I left off. And so when, when Red October came out or Red Factories came out, of which Red October is you know, part of it, they had they have a, a what I'll call a sister scenario called Men of Steel. It's RO5. And it's, I think, very comparable to the Red Barricades scenario, RB5. 
it uses the entire RO map, just like RB5 uses the entire RB Red Barricades map. And sure enough, you know, there's tons of Russian units you can see here on the screen. You know, there's, uh, you know, gobs of infantry and some tanks and some guns and, you know, some fortifications, reinforcements, you name it. And then on the second page, you can see the Germans. They have a ton of stuff, too. It's primarily infantry, but there is there is some armor involved as well. And so uh, I was excited to play this scenario next and also do an evaluation and do a write-up about R05. But what I want to share with, with people tonight is, before I even set this up and analyzed it, I, I was concerned because, like I just got done saying, I played RB5 to death, and I thought at the end of the day it was pro-German. And so I wanted to see and compare. I know it's a different scenario and it's on a different map, but it's similar enough, in my opinion, that you can make some comparisons to see if indeed there's any uh, statistical or mathematical differences between the orders of battle between the two scenarios to, you know, I guess get a feeling for if it's more balanced or not, you know, having not ever played it before. So with that, I want to show you some of the analysis that I did between the two scenarios. And then I'm going to stop probably abruptly, and I'm not going to get into the whole analysis of R05 too much, because I'm going to save that for people to read in the next Bonsai article. When, when that finally gets published, if they're interested, they can read about it. So mm -hmm. with that, I will show you some so, um, I noticed that Men of Steel and last bid take place on the same date. Yeah, that's a good point. I think these battles <laughs> did happen at the same time, but you know, obviously one was in one part of the city and one part was in the other part of the city. Okay. Just wanted to be clear about that. So this takes place on the, oh yeah, I see this takes place on the red October map. Okay. Yeah. Link. Exactly. Which is which is about the exact same size as the red uh, barricades map, but of course mm. it is you know, a little bit different terrain. Yeah. Okay. And just for clarification, um, I forget these two maps, Red Barricades and Red October, they don't touch together to form a giant map. No, no, right? no, they do. They do connect. They, they connect. are okay, right? Yes. So you just play both of these at once. I, I, I think there actually is. Um, well, in fact, let me go back to the scenario card. It's funny that you mentioned that. I, I will go to that. So here in the SSRs, if you're looking at my screen here, mm -hmm. if you look at SSR number eight, you can see it says this scenario can be played in conjunction with RB5, the last bid, and when you do do so, there's some special rules. <laughs> now, that would be an overwhelming task. Uh, I, I would also say, I, I, I wouldn't really want to do that either because, I mean, I kind of want to do it, but I wouldn't want to do it because, Again, I think our B5 is in balance or not balanced. So unless we were going to use the balance provisions that I talk about in the article for the RB5 yeah, side of the map, I wouldn't want to do this. But but if we did that, then I think that this might be doable. But yeah, I guess you could. It, it, it's enormous. I mean, the Red Barricades map itself and the Red October map itself, they're about, they're, I think they're exactly the same size. I think they're like, uh, what, four feet long each, I think? Yeah. So, but yeah, you could actually play these two together according to this. So anyway, I compared the two. And so I just want to show folks, you know, what I compared and what my thoughts are about it, you know, going into the scenario for the first time, the RO5 scenario. 
So I started off here with this, what I call figure one. Can you see, I just did, this is just a simple comparison. There's nothing, no fancy math going on here. I just said, hey, how many squats does each side start with, you know, at start? This doesn't count the reinforcements. This is just the at start order of battle. And so in RB5, you can see the Germans outnumbered the Russians slightly, 80 to 78, and the Germans are on the attack. However, in R05, it's interesting that you see that the Germans start with 73, which is, you know, seven less than they had in the other scenario. And the Russians went down also, but only by two squads. And I know that's not everything. Number of squads is not everything, but it's something. And if you look at table one beneath figure one, see how I did that, Jeff? Figure one, table one, they go together. Isn't that cool? Brilliant. You catch the symmetry? The symmetry. Ooh. I think they call that symmetry. I think they do. But uh, I did a little, you know, percentage uh, thing going on here. So you can see the German order of battle went down by, you know, quite a bit more percentage-wise. And so I guess net-net, I would call this a tilt towards the Russians, which, again, I, I'm going to call that a good thing because I think the first scenario was, you know, pro-German. So to tilt things towards the Russian in, in this way, I think, is a good thing for our 05. Okay, I'm going to, you know, look at things from that perspective. Yeah. So that's number of squads. If I move on, uh, on the left-hand side here on my screen, I've got table two and figure two, and this is the number of leaders. Okay, well, this is a pretty boring bar chart. It's a pretty boring table as well, because the number of leaders is exactly the same between the scenarios. The Germans got 20, the Russians have 13, and that doesn't change hmm. between RO5 and RB5. So that's a pretty... Uh, uninteresting and unremarkable table and chart. But if you look at the negative leadership modifiers associated with those leaders on the right in figure four, table four, now we start to see a difference. They significantly lowered the German leadership by a couple of negative mods worse from negative 17 to negative 15. And at the same time, they increased the Russian negative modifiers by a couple. So again, this is another nod towards the Russians, in my opinion, which I think is good, also in my opinion, because again, I thought the first scenario was a little bit too pro-German, and so this is helping the Russians a little bit. Good, okay. Uh, moving on to figure four, table four. Uh, you know, here I'm looking at the at start inherent firepower. So just simply adding up, you know, if, if a German's got an 838, that's an 8 firepower. If they got a 467, that's 4 firepower. I'm not looking at the range. I'm not looking at point blank stuff. I'm not looking at spraying fire capabilities. I'm just looking just plain old ordinary at start inherent firepower. And you can see here that the Germans in our B5 uh, outnumbered the Russians firepower wise 398 to 353. And sure enough, moving on over to the right, when you look at R05, the Germans went down by 6%, according to Table 4, and the Russians went up slightly by 1.7%, I guess. But the point is, you can see that difference narrowed. So again, for the third reason, I'm seeing another tilt towards the Russians in this scenario, which again, I think is a good thing for the reasons that I've said before. So I'm feeling like they acknowledged uh, that our B5 was not balanced and, and our O5, they, I think, are making much more balanced. And you can see 
some of the reasons why I think that's true. Uh, looking at the machine gun and ATR firepower, not much of a difference there. They both went up. They both went up a comparable percentage. So not a big, not a heavy hitter there. I'd call that a wash. Nothing, uh, nothing too significant there on figure five. Uh, moving to figure six. Now we're talking about the guns and how much firepower the guns have. And I know there's a whole bunch of, you know, other variables involving guns about how easy it is to hit and are they used for an anti-tank role or an infantry role? Can they shoot smoke or not? You know, all kinds of other rate of fire. If yeah, rate, yeah, rate of fire matters. Yeah. yeah, all those things are important. So again, this is just a simplistic. Hey, how much firepower? Yeah. So here you can see that the Germans went up a lot. They went from sixty to a hundred firepower, and the Russians also went up quite a bit from sixty-eight to ninety-two. You know, comparing our B five to our O five. However, I'd say this, even though it looks like the Germans, you might say, hey, this is a little bit more pro-German than, than the pro-Russian. Uh, pro you might say that. Uh, I think it's important to recognize that in R05, let me go back to the scenario card. In the German order of battle, notice how they have this 150 millimeter gun, which is... How many firepower is that? Is that 30? I think that's 30 firepower. 150 millimeters is 30 firepower. Okay. So going back to the chart now, I mean, they, they didn't have that in our B5, but they do have it in our O5. So of the 40 firepower that they went up, 30 of it is because of that single gun that they didn't have in the previous scenario. So, yeah, these are the true statistics, and I guess it's true. But I'm still not thinking this is a huge bump in favor of the German, even though the bar chart might, might indicate that it is, only because a big chunk of that increase is because of a single gun. So I'm going to call that a wash. You know, maybe somebody wants to call that pro-German. I, You know, who knows? It's a matter of opinion. Uh, next, figure seven, or table seven, figure seven, table seven. Here I just kind of grabbed a whole bunch of other miscellaneous things like Demolition charges, flamethrowers, the Russians have mild projectiles. And I looked at the differences between the scenarios, and they're all very comparable. There's really nothing remarkable here, in my opinion, to sway the balance one way or the other. Now, I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, how could, you know, you really can't compare scenarios. There's different victory conditions. It's a different map. Yeah, that's true. But it's similar enough, in my opinion, that these comparisons are still worthwhile. Yeah, these forces still have to go at each other with firepower and quantity right. and things right. like so, that, right? So, so net net, most of these statistics indicate that they tilted this toward the Russian, you know, for three or four reasons. You know, the number of squads, the leadership change, you know, things like that. And so, I think that those are the prominent differences, and. I'm excited to play RO5 because I think it could very well go 21 game turns against two equally matched players, and it could be a very exciting scenario that really becomes quite a grind with 21 turns to play. But it could be a lot of fun to have it come down to the end after playing that many turns. I don't know if you've done this, but if, if you take this information that you've gathered from Red Barricades, 
from, from these charts here, just the red barricade information, and look at it. Does it sort of uh, correlate with the win record on Roar for red barricades? Do you yeah, yeah, the RV5 shows, uh, I don't have it memorized, but I've looked at it a few times. It does it's, definitely show about two out of three uh, winning, the, Ger the Germans win two out of three, or, or maybe even higher. 33 German victories to 19 Russian, if I remember correctly, from five years ago. Actually, I just looked at it today. <laughs> you have a great memory if you remember it from five years ago. <laughs> yeah, that was today. I think our plane, I think it was the Germans also, and I'm kind of shocked. Like, why can't I remember it? I remember specific parts of the battle. You know, I actually do. I remember, oh, getting in this factory. I remember fighting Dave over here and some sewer junk and... Um, but I, yeah, I don't even remember who won. But I think it was the Germans. I do. I do have one more chart to show, because um, and this does start to, I guess, maybe get towards the strategy on our O5 that I'm excited to share with you. And that, that's as far as I want to go, because uh, as I mentioned a minute ago, I am playing the scenario with a friend here, and we're going to be writing this, you know, big, giant, enormous article and giving it to the bonsai guys, you know, soon enough. Oh yes. Yeah. You already saw the first, you know, portion of it where I compare the two scenarios. Yeah, this is a, a preview. But this is a preview. I do want to share this one thing that's kind of cool. So, you know, you might be wondering, and I also was wondering to myself, well, did they go too far? Did they give the Russians too much? How are the Germans supposed to win the scenario if they're attacking a force that has more squads than they are? Uh, if their leadership is about the same? You know, how are they supposed to win? Because it's obviously hard to attack. So I created a chart that I've never created before. And so let me show you what I did here. I've never analyzed a scenario like this before. This is new. This has never been uh, shown in public before until now. At least, and I've never seen anyone do an analysis like this before. Maybe they have, but I've never, I've not seen it. So what I did was I didn't just add up the firepower. Uh, I added up the firepower at different ranges. And you see the chart has a range at the bottom. Okay. In hexes. And, and yeah. this is this is the machine guns, the flamethrowers. It's not the guns. It's not the demolition charges. Well, it says what it is. It's, you know, it's the machine guns, the flamethrowers, the inherent firepower. So obviously at a hex range of one, you know, everybody's point blank. So that's why you see such big numbers for the Germans and the Russians. At a one hex range because everybody's point blank, so that makes sense. And then you can see at range two and so forth, of course, it, it goes down. And you can see it's very interesting because the Germans always, you can see the blue line is always higher than the orange line. And that makes sense because, you know, when you think about it, the Germans usually have more range than the Russians. And their machine guns also have more range than the Russians, you know, light machine gun versus light machine gun and medium versus medium and so on. Yeah. So that makes sense. And so I wanted to say, okay, well, that's great, but where are the sweet spots? Where are the points at which the Germans really have a big significant advantage? And so I created the next chart, which is similar to this one, but a little different. It's over here on the left. Wow. <laughs> this is the same chart you were seeing a minute ago. The blue and the orange line are the same. But now on the right-hand axes, uh, I created another, uh, I guess another visual. I got those little bars, and those bars show the percentage difference between the German firepower and the Russian firepower. 
So you can see at a, at a one hex range, the German firepower is 19% is higher than the Russian firepower at a one hex range. In a two hex range, it's the same. When you get to a three hex range, the Germans have a 39% increase in firepower. Now, now, why is that? Well, I think the reason is uh, the, the Russians have a whole bunch of 628s in the order of battle, and at a range of three, oh, all, yeah. of six, all the 628s have their firepower halved, whereas none of the German units you know, have their firepower halved at that short of a range. The Russians also got those 527s, which again, at a three hex range, would have their firepower half. So it makes sense that there'd be a, a big jump in favor of the German percentage-wise at hex range of three. But the interesting thing, or at least what I think is the interesting thing here that helps me understand as the German how I might go about winning this scenario, is you really want to take advantage of those big firepower range advantages that you have. So if you look at like range of six, or range of 11 and 12, I think those are the sweet spots where you have over 100%, the Germans have over 100% higher firepower at range six, at range 11 and 12, they got 156% uh, difference. So, I mean, if you're gonna be hammering away at 11 and 12 hexes or six hexes, as the German, you're gonna have a big advantage, generally speaking, on the Russian. Now I know the Red Barricades really doesn't let you do too much from too far away because, you know, it's designed to have a lot of close up fighting and close combat and, you know, a lot of nitty gritty stuff. But to the degree as the German, you can take advantage of your superior firepower at these ranges. That's what will give you the advantage in order to try to, you know, beat a, a force that's bigger than you when you're on the attack. So I found, I've never done a chart like this before. I thought it was really interesting. And, and as the German, I definitely tried to set up either six hexes away or 11 or 12 hexes away with my kill stacks, you know, to the degree that the map permitted me to do that. So that I thought was uh, a helpful observation that helped me design my tactics in this scenario. Now here's a word from one of our great sponsors, Ritter Krieg. You know about Ritter Krieg, Dave? I'm sure you do. Of course you do. They're a regular sponsor for our show and have been for a long time. Listen, folks, go over to RitterKrieg.com. If you play ASL, you what, should be going to... What do I find there at RitterKrieg.com? All kinds of stuff. Stuff from LeFranc Terrier, from Bounding Fire Productions, from MMP. All, all ASL stuff. All ASL stuff. Every, everything you would want. Go there, check out the website. It's a great website, great place to buy. But isn't it sometimes cost prohibitive to have this stuff shipped to your house? Well, this is the beauty of buying from Ritter Creek. You go to one site, you buy stuff. If it's inside the 48 United States, then it's free shipping. Wow. Go to RitterCreek.com today. Very interesting. Very you know, you think, cool. Yeah, when you, when you think about it, like range 11 and 12... You know, I was thinking to myself, well, why is that? Well, I think the reasons are, again, you think about the Russian infantry. They got a lot of four or five eights. Yeah. Well, how much firepower does a four or five eight have at range 11? Nothing. Whereas the German four, six, sevens still have half their firepower. The Russian medium machine guns only have a range of 10. So at a range of 11, they're half, whereas the German medium machine guns are still at full firepower at range at 11 and 12. 
So those are, you know, a lot of the reasons why the delta between the Germans and the Russians is so great at these hex ranges. Very fascinating. Do you, can you, I, I mean, do you think this is going to help you? <laughs> Obviously, I, do you think this is going to help you play the scenario? Well, I think it helps you either way. If you're the German, you're going to look for opportunities to maximize your firepower differential. Yeah. And if you're and if you're the Russian setting up on defense, knowing this, you're going to try to avoid giving the German any opportunities to exploit that. Right. Okay. So I don't want to give away my setups or my tactics because I don't want my opponent to listen and and uh, and beat me too bad. But I, you know, these are the things I'm thinking about as I set up and as I either attack or defend, as the case may be. But you can okay. see here on the screen that the article is already partially written. And, uh, you know, it's Frank uh, Canzolino and I are, are doing this. He's a local opponent here in, in Downers Grove where, where I live. Yeah. 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 And he and I are doing this together. And, uh, you know, we're, we've already made progress. So anyway, I, I don't want to bore you to death, but I thought you guys might find it interesting. And I really wanted to share this new chart that I made and I'm showing right now. Because I've never uh, I've never analyzed a scenario like that before. I you know this kind of stuff has never really occurred to me. I I'm sure as you mentioned, there's all kinds of different uh, analyses you can make. Like we said, rate of fire and a lot of other conditions that might come into play uh, that you can make. I guess, um, and then it's just a matter of trying it to see if it really does indicate or correlate with balance. In the scenario, of course, a lot of things depend on that, like die rolls and player skill and a lot of other things like that. But it's very cool. You've yeah, obviously you. put, yeah. put some thought into that. And now a short word from our sponsor, Bounding Fire Productions. Bounding Fire Productions. Listen, go to BoundingFire.com. It's all about the Internet these days, but you got to do it. you got to go to BoundingFire.com. Because that's where you're going to find some great ASL products. They make a bunch of products like Into the Rubble 2, Beyond the Beachhead 2, High Ground 2. Objective Schmidt, Corrigador the Rock, which just came out recently. If you don't have it, that's the place to go get it. Bounding Fire Productions. They also sell LeFranc Terrier products on, through their site. And a lot of great stuff. Always high quality. And you can always get it at Bounding Fire. You'll thank us. I will be very interested to hear how that plays out then. When, when is the play going to happen? When do you start? Well, we um, have already started. I'll say that. And we've been recording our turns. You know, in other words, we've been like, writing down what happens on turn one and turn two and turn three and so on and so forth. And we've been taking pictures of the board. So the article will be very similar to the article that's in the Bonsai magazine that you saw on our B5 a, a few minutes ago. Yeah, it'll be it'll be similar to that. It'll be quite long. It'll be you know twenty thirty pages, and but you know the bonsai is free. It's an electronic you know download, so it, it can be as long as it needs to be. Yeah, and you did a great breakdown. I think every turn almost didn't you when you wrote that first one? Yeah, I did. In fact, I do want to show one picture from that that I'm kind of proud of. Uh, going back to that, if I may, towards the end, if you look at this picture in the lower right hand corner. Oh yeah. The, <laughs> And yeah. all the breaches or something. On yes, it? I was very excited to show this. So I took away all the units or all the like, you know, active units at the end of the scenario. This is that big giant factory that the Germans have to take. 
Can you zoom in on just that one picture? Uh, yeah, so look at the one on the right-hand side. So <laughs> what you see there is, again, I took away all the units. So the, the, the special mm -hmm. scenario rule says that the outside, the factories are, are fortified. So if you know the fortified rules, which most of the listeners probably do, you know that you can't just advance into a fortified location if the right. enemy has a, you know, a good order squad that's not pinned, you know. Uh, you can't advance in close combat, so you have to just sit there and hammer away from the outside. So my opponent, you can see, he put all kinds of minefields on the outside just to make it that much harder. So not only could I not get into the building because he had, you know, tons of infantry in there that was fanatic with nine morale, but even coming adjacent to it, I was going through a lot of minefields. Plus, you see there's a lot of debris, there's a lot of rubble. So oh, yeah. I... I took some of those crappy tanks that the Germans get that don't even have machine guns usually. And you can see all the little trail brake counters. I tried to run the German tanks through the trail brakes. I tried to crash them through the walls uh, to create breaches so that I could advance in. You can see one tank actually made it and he ended up bogging, but he, he got there. Uh, you can see another tank didn't make it. There's a wreck, there's a couple wrecks. You see those? You see how I did trail breaks through certain minefields to try to allow the infantry to go through it a little bit more readily. But it took a long time, it took many, many turns to, you know, cause this to happen. And, you know, one of the breaches might have been from a demo charge. They're not all from tanks. I can't remember. But anyway, I just thought it was kind of cool to see the carnage and the, you know, basically destruction of this building to just rip the heck out of the walls just to get in. That is a beautiful thing. Yeah, the interior walls, it takes away all that defensive hiding spots for the Russian to rally and stuff back there out of sight and whatnot. Yeah, you can see on the left-hand side, it was just a mess when you look at all the German and Russian counters and so on. So I took all that away to, uh, you know, to show the, I guess, the physical building changes. Okay. Excellent. Nice, nice, nice report, Rich. Well, thank you, guys. I'm going to give you an A. Wow. A plus for those. Oh my! And that coming from a teacher, that means a lot. Those graphics are amazing. Well, I'm of course I'm used to seeing eighth grade, um, you know, presentations <laughs> and charts. So I see. All right. Well, if we have a few little moments left, Jeff, we need to flesh it out a little. I have uh, a. Yeah. Yes, we do. But yeah, what what else you got cooking? Well, one of the topics I suggested is we could cover a lot of the new charts that are in the new Onslaught to Orsha 2 module from BFP. And I think a lot of people noticed, the people who know me and know my work uh, might have observed that I was listed as one of the contributors to that. And, and that was my contribution is I made uh, virtually all of the tables and charts that are in the new module that are, and I use kind of a spilky rules table kind of format for those of you who are familiar with the rules tables that we've talked about a few times on your program here, I kind of use that kind of format, that kind of methodology. And then, of, of course, they had to convert it into the cardboard official, you know, scenario type, you know, method, module method. But anyway, I'll, I'll go through some of those charts and tables. It'll take a while because there's quite a few of them. But I really think they enhance the, uh, the play of the game in particular because Onslaught to Worship 2 has a couple of unique uh, units. They've got these Russian mine roller tanks that have some special rules that are very important. And I made kind of a flow chart on how to do the mine roller tanks. 
They have all kinds of different kinds of airplanes that do different things, both for the Russians and the Germans. And uh, I got some charts on how to utilize those uh, ground support units. So that's one of the topics. And then the final topic that we might cover in the future is the article that I wrote for uh, the journal, the next journal, which is a whole bunch of statistics about OBA draw piles. So again, there'll be charts and, and statistics and things like that in that article. More propeller heads kind of stuff, which is really uh, interesting. Yeah, I know you put a lot of work into that item that's coming up in the journal. Yeah, so I've been told by uh, Perry, and at least by email, that that will be put in the next journal, but I don't know when the next journal is coming out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Super. there hasn't been one in a while, but of course there's so much being made, you know, these days it's insane. Yeah. But what you've been playing lately? What have you been? I don't have my flute, so we'll just <laughs> pretend. <laughs> I played uh, online and I tweeted about it um, with Vassal. Uh, a few rounds more. Historical Study 32, Operation Veritable. This is that one where the Germans are attacking um, the British uh, in parts of the Netherlands and Germany. And they flooded the areas, too, as part of the cool thing about that uh, historical study. And so Dave Timmon and I had played a lot of these previously and then uh, started up this one on Vassal. And we finished it. This has the three, what are they, Sturm Tigers? Yeah, with the 380, like, rocket mortar thing on them. Yes, I said 380. I can see the shocked look on your faces. You mean, like, 380? That's a big number. That is a big number. Yeah, gun. Yeah. So it was off the chart at like neg three, if it hits. And like an idiot, <laughs> I stayed in a woods line and Dave managed to get, uh, I think it was uh, two 5KIAs. Oh my. <laughs> wow. Five KIAs? Yeah. Is that, even, is that even on the chart? It is on the chart. Really? Oh yeah. 36 chart with negatives. Yeah, I think he rolled a, it looks like he rolled a five at minus three, gave him a two. Wow. So it's not that I don't believe you, but. Yeah, take a look. So anyway, I, I lost some squads real quick. So you can't do that if you ever play this game. You have to respect <laughs> those things. Those monsters can only fire every other player turn. There's actually a counter for that. Mm. Mark them like fired this turn or something oh. like that. And um, in Vassal, I don't remember if we found... No, we couldn't find those counters in Vassal. Um, so, yeah, read the notes on the Sturm Tiger. It's a very unique vehicle. If it hits a building and, like, if it misses by one, it could hit a random floor above wow. or below where you're aiming. Um, some, some things like that going on with it. Uh, and then I had to defend with the British. A lot of open ground. Worried Dave a lot at the beginning. But again, with these three tanks coming at you, uh, he used the armored assault very wisely. And there's uh, 13 German squads coming. And I didn't have all eight of my British up front, so it was only like four squads shooting at all those guys. He easily managed to cross the land, only breaking a couple squads and then 
maneuvering very well around me, defending in the first woods line. And then basically I split off to the right toward uh, past overlay X13. I don't have the board set up now, but if you've ever played this, off to the right corner, there's one building behind a couple of woods, X's, some open ground in front of that. I was thinking that would be the spot I might survive. In the back, there's a X overlay X11. It's outside of the board 43, which has the um, walled-in little village. And the one hex inside, if I can read this to you, is a Canadian Ammunition Depot exists in hex 43 and 8. And 8. If this hex or any unit in it is hit by the main arm of the Sturm Tiger, it explodes and is eliminated. The explosion is a 36 firepower attack versus all units in hex 43 and 8 and versus all adjacent locations with a neg 2 heavy payload bonus styro modifier um, versus hex 43 N8 and a neg 1 heavy payload bonus styro modifier versus all adjacent locations. So you Canadian wants to obviously stay away from that thing if the Sturm Tigers are still alive. One of his Sturm Tigers went off to the right, the German right, to chase those Canadians over by the building I was thinking I could survive in. And the rest of the troops and the two Sturm Tigers went up to the Circle Village. And um, my hidden gun was right across the road there in some grain. No, it was, I don't know what I was in. Like it was concealed, but maybe brush. And managed to get side shots on both of those Sturm Tigers and take them out. Um, but then that gun was quickly overrun with all the infantry. And then Dave just slowly pushed it really smart. I was impressed with his play. I don't, he, he must be learning from someone else because I wasn't teaching him all the tricks. <laughs> so, yeah, he was playing real well. And on the right-hand side, too, I had a moment when I could have counterattacked across some open ground, but I would have had to take like a little two neg two shots. Had I survived, I would have been able to surround all those broken guys with the Sturm Tiger traveling the wrong direction then toward where I used to be. <laughs> um, and then I thought I better not be that brave. So I stayed back, tried skulking a bit, lost the morale checks, and it was inevitable that he would overrun that. But a few rounds, so it has that cool thing about the ammo depot. I don't know if, how many players have seen that below up, but that could be fun. And um, quick play, um, you know, liked it a lot. Uh, historical study 32 from Operation Veritable. Very good. Uh, Dave, I have a question for you. Are, are there special rules? You mentioned this, the special rules for the, was it the Sturm Tiger you called it? Yeah, the vehicle listing is like half a page. Okay, so the special rules are not on the scenario card. They're actually in the uh, vehicle listings? Yeah, vehicle listing for all for any time you use them. Yeah, uh, except for the ammo dump, of course. Right, right, right. Interesting. Yeah. I don't think I played that scenario. That sounds interesting. It sounds, though, a little dicey, if you don't mind my saying so, because if you hit, like you said, you got a, he got a 4 or 5 KIA on you or something, man, if you hit with that thing, game over. Yeah, you cannot ever, ever have a stack of Canadians get hit with a Sturm Tiger shot. Um, <clears throat> so your normal, you know, reasoning of spreading out would apply. Yeah, good point. 
I guess it, it forces you to do that, then, which is what I guess that might help the German a little bit, that it forces you to not stack units and get too too much firepower in one spot. Yeah, more so than normal. Uh, sure. But again, they can only fire every other turn, player turn. True, true. Um, and how many turns is it, did you say? Eight. Seven? Eight, okay. okay. Seven and a half. Four chances, okay. Seven and a half, yeah. Yeah. Because um, you don't want them to have too much fun. No, with that no. Thing. I'm glad you mentioned that special counter, because I think somewhere in my counter box, uh, I have a counter that said, fired this turn, or the gun fired this turn. So, and I've always wondered, what is that counter for? Yeah, Because I, I, yeah. I haven't played the scenario, so yeah, that's I, I'm what, like, what is it for? What do you need that for? I threw mine out. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's terrible. Yeah. I, I guess it's not the only vehicle, but it's probably close to it, for sure. So, and then so currently, here's a, here's a quick quiz because yes, the you can have five KIA. So, what what is the highest KIA listed on the IFT chart? Anybody? Oh, uh, it's. Well, I I think I saw it a couple days ago, but. I don't know. I Rich, don't want to guess? I would guess five or six, I guess. I think yes. it's seven. Is it seven? Seven. Seven. Yeah. seven. Wow. That's, yeah, seven. Less I than mean, or equal to zero. I mean, what, difference does it, what difference does it make when you get up yeah. to that kind of thing? Yeah, who's got seven counters in the hex anyway? You deserve, well, to, you deserve to lose if, if you get to seven KIA on you. Yeah, I guess if you're sneaking up on a allied barn dance, they, you think they might have that many counters in there yeah so okay well i think we're going to yeah. call this this part of the show the video part of the show we'll call from here and then if we've got any dave any fill in for the audio part yeah probably 45 could, minutes show continue is that, so so uh rich thank you very much for joining us really well, appreciate that very been, very interesting yeah, my pleasure and i'm yeah. always happy to join you guys thank you for inviting me all right. Thanks, everybody, for watching yeah. and listening. For those of you listening, there may be more after this. Otherwise, if you hear silence and you're listening for about two minutes, just figure we're done. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you all next time. But in the meantime, roll low. And rally well. But not when you're, not when playing, you're playing us. Just don't do it. All right. Bye, bye, everybody. Stay bye -bye. safe. And keep your distance for crying out loud. Especially from those sturm tigers. No kidding. <laughs>